0: Disclaimer, the information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for professional medical advice.
1: Thank you and enjoy.
2: Lisa, Hold on. I'm just <laughs> sorry. I'm trying to sort my screen out. <laughs> Uh Yeah, welcome to Free Peace Podcast. Um, I'm Sunny from the UK, and our guest today is Dr. Powers. Hi, thanks so Hi,
1: much for ta- having
2: me. Yes, thank you for being
1: on here. It's um, it's such a you know a deep, heavy subject that we're going to talk about today. Dr. Powers is a Board certified plastic surgeon, correct? Yep, I'm a facial
0: plastic surgeon and board certified otolaryngology or ear nose throat surgery.
1: Excellent. And we are going to talk today about um, plastic surgery after domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So, um, can you tell us how you got started in this? And you know, just tell us a little bit about you know. I mean, I know this is like, uh, it needs to be done and stuff like that and mm-hmm. just how you got involved in it.
0: Yeah. Um, so, you know, originally, so I, my background, like I was saying is in, um, ENT or ear, nose, throat surgery, which a lot of people think, oh, that's just, you know, looking in ears and consoles mm-hmm. and, and they kind of forget about a lot of the other side of things, which is actually, we do a lot of facial trauma. Um, and so I started getting interested in, in Kind of the reconstructive side of things, both post skin cancer, but also post obviously um, violence and and trauma. And so we got kind of some of that experience through um, ENT through residency, and then throughout my fellowship year as well. I was at UC Irvine. Um, mm-hmm. I did a lot of the the facial trauma there. So and it's something that's persisted kind of throughout my career. I'm now here in Utah. Um, but it's sadly something that we see quite often, um, you would think, oh, this is a rarity. You know, somebody's coming in for, say, they have, you know, nasal breathing issues or something like that after um, domestic
1: violence, but we see it quite often, sadly. Yeah, I am um, here in Utah, we have a domestic shelter, it's called the Peace House, And it's for battered women, children, and men. And I went to their annual luncheon this year, and they had a guest there that um, she was missing her eye because her um, abuser held her captive and, and beat her with the gun. And she ended up losing her eye. And then when I heard about what you do, I immediately thought of her because you wouldn't, I never even thought that this was even out there, Mm
2: -hmm. you know?
1: And so I just, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. And now it makes more sense, you know, it makes sense that because you're hearing a lot more about abuse and stuff like that. So, um, it's really, really great that you do that. And I'm sure these women now, my question is, is this something that they have to pay for, like how does that all work?
0: So, the majority of the patients that I'm seeing are are female, like you're saying, um, and you know, obviously the statistics on that are much higher for domestic abuse or domestic violence against um, against women. Um, in terms of how they kind of come in, a lot of patients will come in. they they go through their insurance if they have insurance. If they don't have insurance, I definitely am able to work with them on like a financial option that would be able to be accomplished with their means. Um, mm-hmm. It just kind of depends you know on on the patient. Um, but a lot of the time they're going through their insurance and insurance will cover a lot of their uh, their care because it is post trauma, whether or not it's a fracture, you know, a face a facial fracture. Or whether or not it's like we we're talking about, um, you know, somebody that can't breathe through their nose because they've had sustained a blow or something like that to the to the nose where their nose has now had a deformity. So,
2: do you ever um come come into finding out how that happened or what happened resulted to their their partner? So you know the whole story about yeah. every patient. So think, that's, that's very deep for you. So what to yeah. do with that?
0: Yeah. You know, I think it's actually really important to acknowledge that. I think maybe some providers that do a lot of trauma, um, you know, we see it all the time. We see different trauma, whether or not it's a car accident or, you know, uh, domestic abuse. But I think that it's actually very important for me as a provider to kind of have that connection with that patient. Um, And I I like to make it a very safe space. Number one, you know, talking to them, making sure that they feel like they're out of that situation or at least have moved towards some sort of ability to have somebody else that's their safe person. Cause I know a lot of the time people are not able to get out of those situations quickly, right. Because for fear of, of retaliation. Mm. Um, So I think it's important to be able to, you know, provide them a hotline number, provide them information for where they can find that safety. Um, Because I think that's first and foremost, is like making sure that that patient emotionally is taken care of before we think about, you know, doing any of the other um, surgical options for them.
2: Yeah, because my next question was, um, when you do the like the x-rays and stuff, say somebody had a fracture in one cheek, and mm-hmm. you can look on an x-ray maybe they they got beaten before but obviously didn't ever go to the hospital can you see like past like past like fractures that obviously are healed but yeah you know.
0: yeah I actually recently sadly um was able to take care of a patient and um she had had two prior nasal surgeries before and then it turned out she had a lot of rib fractures and um, and talking with her even after the surgery, the reason I knew that is because I needed to actually harvest a piece to, piece of her rib for us to reutilize, to reconstruct her nose. And um, in doing so, we saw her rib and said, oh, you know, you have a lot of fractures here. And, and she, because again, of all of kind of the trauma she had been through in the past, didn't really remember that particular incident, but she's like, you know, it obviously could have happened because
1: I was very out of it after a lot of these incidents, so... Now, when you, before you do any of the reconstruction, are most of these patients of yours in therapy? Um, are they seeking help, you know, and have they left that partner? Most of them or. Yeah. Most of the patients that I'm
0: seeing, um, now I do a lot of surgery, like outpatient type of surgery. So a lot of patients are coming to me in clinic, Mm -hmm. um, Definitely a different landscape than when I was seeing patients immediately post trauma in an emergency department. So, in my career right now, I'm seeing a lot of patients that are kind of coming in and they've taken those steps. A lot of them are in therapy already um, and talking with them. I, you know, I kind of bring up, hey, by the way, I want to make sure that you're in a good state going forward for surgery because it can provoke a lot of those emotions, even with that pain kind of coming back from a surgical perspective in that particular area can kind of almost have like a PTSD type of um, you know ability to kind of bring some of those emotions back up to the forefront.
2: Does that make you very anxious that like say if somebody on the emergency comes straight in say the abuser's done that and escaped that maybe he's searching to find what hospital she's in obviously could turn up at any time do you have um, like security procedures for things like that
0: yeah, so if they come into the emergency department, um, and again, there's a known reason, you know, there's kind of something that's, that's been shared that we kind of know about, um, the front office of the emergency department is alerted, number one, to not let any person come back that's not on like their safe list of, of people that they would allow to come and see them. And then number two, oftentimes police have gotten involved as well um and there's you know an incident report that can be written up the police can have that person flagged um so there's all sorts of other safeguards that can go into making sure that that patient is really safe once they're in the emergency department i know a lot of the time for a lot of these patients and a lot of these women that are going through this it's hard to even get themselves there you know they're, they're kind of dealing with that emotional turmoil of like okay how can I safely leave the house without him knowing, or how can I safely seek help without him knowing, like they may be so controlling or in a situation such that they won't even let them, you know, contact a friend or something like that.
1: Now, do you find, has just asking this, have you had any patients that have come to you and said, look, I'm I'm from an abuse relationship and like my looks so he can't find me or anything like that
0: mm. that's an interesting question like in terms of what can we do surgically to yeah. you always hear about that people always think about that I don't know if that comes from the media <laughs> where they're like oh my gosh CIA agent has to change their whole face and yeah yeah and- <laughs> you know, in reality, most patients, I've never actually had anybody request for me to change their, their entire.
1: Well, the reason I ask is because we've had, um, women on our show that have been, you know, abused and the stuff they go through. I mean, I would want to, I mean, I wouldn't want him ever to find me if I left, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to me, it's real, I would be always looking over my shoulder, everything. So, I just was curious. I mean, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah. I Um, haven't
0: had anybody ask me that a lot of the time, most patients are asking me, you know, to kind of just restore, to restore either their appearance, you know, maybe it's that they have a big cut or something, right. And a bad scar, or maybe it's that they again have some sort of bony structure issue. Um, So it's more of a, Hey, I just want to look like I, like I used to, you know, just
1: sort of healing. You said that the police, you know, sometimes are involved, you know, when these women come in and everything. Now, is there cases where you've had to go and like testify? Um, I
0: haven't. Um,
1: Usually,
0: usually it wouldn't be necessarily me that they would have to come in and testify. Um, That being said, you know, sometimes they can call on like an expert witness or something like that. But a lot of the time, if that's the case, you know, patients are coming into the emergency department. So they have kind of more of a hospital legal team that can help support those patients if they need somebody to testify. Mm-hmm. Um, but majority of the time it would be like getting their records and that patient
1: releasing them to their to their respective. I guess
2: they patient. take photos and for photo evidence yeah. if it does go to trial.
1: It's um so I received um phone call on Friday and it was just shocked me kind of rocked my world um one of my very very close friends um her sister was murdered Mm -hmm. by her husband Mm -hmm. um and I just and I said you know I never knew she was abused and she said you know he wasn't physically abusive he was mentally abusive Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and she said that the night that she was murdered that she thinks she went and told him that she was leaving Mm. and it was that control and you know just the mental part of it that he was like "Mm -mm." and I just I was in shock and I'm still in shock because I just can't believe it happened you know Mm -hmm. um but because you never You never expect your friend when you call her to say how are you to say my sister's been murdered, yeah. You know, and it's it's like a gun a gut punch, you know. And it's like how
2: how do you even respond to that?
1: I you don't, you know. And I'm just like what you know, like what happened? Tell me, you know. And I just and then going through, you know the shelter here in utah it's it's amazing that we have a place like this and how much they help these people out because it's not just for women and children it's also for men as well um and i'm so glad that we have a place like that and they say that like if it's in the middle of the night and a woman is, you know, in Wyoming and she's just escaped, they will go and get her mm-hmm. and bring yeah. her back and escort her back. So it's, um, yeah, I just, oh, how do you deal with it mentally?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's important to, to understand where people are coming from mm-hmm. um, and to kind of really, you know, try to get get more of that kind of support system available for them. Um, I know that, you know, I'm not a social worker, obviously. I'm not that person that necessarily can make those calls, but I definitely can ask those questions to those patients and kind of try to get it in their mind. Like, okay, there's other things that we can be doing besides kind of your first encounter, which may or may not be with the healthcare system, you know. Um, But there's, you know, other resources out there for them. And just kind of reiterating, like, Hey, you did nothing wrong. This is not anything that, you know, you you should be internalizing as your fault and just trying to reiterate to them, like that they're a valued human being. I think that really, um, you know, goes, goes beyond mm-hmm. kind of sometimes what they're, they're thinking, mm-hmm. but emotionally, yeah, you know, you have to think about as a provider, like checking in with my own emotions and saying, okay, like, I got to make sure that, you know, I'm kind of keeping that area in my mind, but not necessarily letting that emotional, um area take its toll on my entire
2: career has yeah. there ever been a case where you felt like you had to go speak to somebody after like that's affected you more so or many cases where you've had to either, either talk to your partner or even another doctor mm, i
0: see what you're saying yeah for for my own emotional health and my yeah, own... yeah 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 i definitely decompress um often with my with my partner um my husband he's he's kind of my rock in that way um, but I think it's important also as a healthcare team to be able to talk to the other providers that are taking care of that patient, so the nurses, other physicians that might be involved, um, and making sure that you know you're checking in with with them as well. But, yeah, I think it's important to like bring that to, again, like knowing that that's an area that you um, that you work in, being able to kind of still support that patient, but also have an emotional, disconnect in some way, right. To be able to like live your own life and yeah. not, not fully
1: affect you. Um, now, have you had, have you had patients that, you know, you've performed reconstructive surgeries and then a year, two years down the road, you've seen them again. Mm-hmm. That's
0: yeah. A good one. yeah. Um. You know, long-term follow-up is always hard, no matter who the patient is, but it's great when I get to see them back and, or, you know, just even hear from them say, Hey, I'm doing really great. Like, thanks so much. Like this was, you know, really, really helpful. Um, I actually had a patient recently who I did their nasal surgery. And again, she was like, I just didn't know. She's a, she instructs yoga and she's like, I just didn't know, like I could breathe like this again. She's like, it just made such a big impact. And she's like, and I notice it in my breath and like connecting that back to my body and my yoga. And I think that was really, you know, a very nice, Thing to hear back from, like, okay, like that makes me feel like every single day, like she has some impact in her life.
1: Yeah, and then so you haven't had like women that have were abused, had like a broken nose or a busted cheek and then you fix up, and then they've come back with a different
2: cheek oh i see what
0: you're saying
1: yeah
2: yeah um, I, I kind of thought that was the question got yeah no lost, that's okay but they know nice no, i think it's great them, but... that
1: they stay in touch with you because you're like oh because you would want to know
2: where they go. all yeah. go yeah
0: right, right. i want to know like everybody's doing great yeah um, i have not i have not encountered that where it's somebody that um like has had multiple traumas and then I'm the provider that tends to be you know the only yeah Yeah. maybe to take it
2: to that stage with the hospital and get that help and support that's where they finally took that step to say I'm not I'm worth more than this Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. there might be a different provider on call or yeah else but that being said i'm sure i'm sure it happens where you see somebody multiple times i was sad. gonna say
2: because if you did that would be very i suppose that'd be upsetting for them to sit back there with you to then have the same conversation again and mm-hmm. say well this is what's going to happen if you go back there again i might see you next year yeah, yeah. which is a bit heartbreaking I find it strange because after this conversation you never really think of that ripple effect you see people being abused and pe- and p- pictures of people being hurt but you don't see then they they have to then recover and then the ripple effect has on the doctors and everybody who like has to try and make them feel better it takes months and years Mm -hmm. rather than you just see a picture of someone with a broken nose or black eye that just that goes on and on and on
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well even too if there's children involved too the kids see yeah dad being abused and then you know maybe they you know get in a bad situation too because that's what they were raised with and that's all they know
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so it's just yeah I just think it's so like I had, not I've never spoken to somebody that suffered direct abuse until we had a guest on here Mm -hmm. and when she said like he almost killed me several times Mm -hmm. you know and then um hearing about how like most abusers hold their you know person captive or they kidnap them like and beat them and do all this stuff and I just I cannot oh I can't fathom it you know and I just I I never even thought about Women going and having reconstructive surgery, or men having reconstructive surgery after.
2: Yeah, and then after that's basically like you're trying to relive it while you're being repaired because you've got to open up and tell everybody exactly right, how fine. what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. After I've, I suppose after holding that in for so long and trying to avoid the hospital, I've got to that point where I've got so bad that you actually have to, you know, you have to live with the truth and open up to recover
1: like and you it say worked. it's like I got
2: got broke, broken ribs from years ago because they yeah. did never went to the hospital or fractured cheekbones because they just sat at home or probably like you say weren't allowed out of the house well and she, she said,
1: and she said she didn't remember mm-hmm. yeah because you know it could have been at any given time you know that she was abused and it's like, oh my gosh, she didn't even know her ribs were broken. You know, how
2: many times she's been hit in the ribs so that she don't even know when it actually happened. Mm-hmm.
0: I think what's so hard too is like we see a lot of the physical abuse, but then there's so much other mental and emotional and financial abuse that that is happening mm. at the same time. You know, with financial restrictions as to who they're allowed to
2: yeah well i've seen so i've got i've got friends that have dated women and they're, they're not bad looking women obviously they're attracted to what they do and if they're models and then after two or three months like they you never see them modeling no more because they're like mentally abusing them, saying why keep putting yourself out there and you change that person i think if that's what attracted you to them that's what you like about them why would you change that because mm-hmm. that ain't going to be the person you want to be with mm-hmm they ain't going to be happy because they can't do the things they like to do. And then they feel like they just want to keep you happy. So once they once they listen once, the blow will never stop. Or man or woman. I mm-hmm. you know, can go and either way.
1: They've isolated them, like you said, financially. That, you know, like Zara that was on here, like she said she had absolutely no friends. Mm-hmm. She had yeah, no family to turn to. And she said she just ran, ran, ran. Mm-hmm. Yeah what ended up happening with her was she didn't have friends. So she met these people that weren't friends and she got into a whole nother like addiction. Mm. I just, and that to me is what would be hard because it's like, you have nobody, where is your support group? Because they've isolated you so much. And then you have all this reconstruction done and you're like, okay, I'm ready to get my life back. But who do I turn to? Mm-hmm.
0: Like, who do you even have that's going to be able to pick you up from your surgery or kind yeah. Yeah. of helping you with recovery? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's so cool. again, <laughs> It makes a lot of sense. Like if it's an acute, you know, surgery that needs to happen, it's one thing, but if it's something that can be planned out a little bit more, mm-hmm. really that conversation, I think, you know, I always think that that needs to happen with the provider and the patient and saying, hey, like, who do you have after Yeah. And, yeah. Making and set them up,
2: maybe set them up in like a group to yeah. say, like, every Wednesday there's a group. So don't go be on your own. Go speak to other people. Yeah. Come find more friends. Because I suppose that's what draws people back. Because mm-hmm. the mentality and, like, the manipulation, they feel so worthless and without anybody that they're the only person. All that person has to do is then start being nice to them mess with their head and get them back to exactly where they want Mm -hmm. because again there's no support once they're over that hospital like you say if they've been taught that they've got no one they're gonna have no one
1: do you see like the the age dynamic is it like like within a certain age group you see more of or a different it's just varies
0: yeah it varies varies -hmm. there's not one one age demographic you can kind of put put patients in that have kind of gone through this. I feel like, you know, we usually think, oh, maybe it's somebody younger and then you'd think somebody would be getting out, but there's some people that have been in this for years and, you know, you're maybe just finally seeing them.
2: When you say us, us more, the percentage towards obviously women being in rather than men, mm-hmm. what would you say that percentage was? Oh, God. Men to women.
0: Um, I have, I've personally not taken care of any um, any male patient that has been a, subjected to domestic violence that being said I know that that's obviously not you know it's not a hundred percent women but it is definitely heavier on the on the yeah female side. I couldn't put a percentage on it though in terms of yeah
2: um, I think um, that's more, more more the case that most men wouldn't arrive at the jail, uh, at the jail at the hospital because of maybe pride or ego mm. being yeah, a man I don't know.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Versus more mechanism of, of abuse, you know, may, may be such that it's not necessarily so violent
2: physical. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But that being said, you know, there's obviously exceptions
1: to, to that being the the major trend. Mm -hmm. Well, and like there's a couple in Hollywood right now that's on the news that he was abused and he had a black eye. He's got like big bite marks on his arm and stuff. And it's like, and he said, please don't video me right now, you know? And it's like, oh my gosh, you know? And he, and they were like, yeah, he never like responds to it. But yeah, I mean, being a guy, I'm sure it's a huge ego thing. And, you know, but you would never ever want to retaliate because then, you're all, you're going to get in trouble, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And I think it's interesting too. I, you know, I, I've heard that <clears throat> men that go through abuse are less likely to be believed or, you know, that they're, oh. when they do come forward, maybe that's not necessarily as believable of a story. And so that, that can also be at that as well, that they're saying, well, I'm not going to be taken seriously. Maybe I don't even go. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, it's interesting because, um, my friend, that sister was killed by her husband. He, um, shot and killed her and left her, Mm. went back, slept, went to lunch with a friend the next day and told his friend, his friend then drove him to the police department and he's claiming self-defense. Hmm. I'm like well would you have gone to lunch would you have you know you would have yeah. called 911 like my wife is attacking me or something like that
2: yeah I'll, yeah I've spun like, around and this has happened yeah you've actually gone out for the day then gone for lunch that's a bit
1: yeah and <laughs> you've loved her you know and that just yeah it's heartbreaking it, I can't even fathom you know and and, but like here in Utah, we have this high profile case that's happening where the wife poisoned her husband, mm-hmm. you know? So it it does happen. I mean, she didn't beat him, but she definitely killed him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But I think such, I think it's such a mental thing too, is when to me it would be like, I've got to heal my mind first. Then I'll, do you find that they heal their mind first and then physically heal themselves or vice versa?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I don't know how, I mean, I don't know as a woman, what would be easier to do first? I mean, they're both probably difficult, but mm-hmm. I think the physical aspect would probably be the easiest. And then, cause you're probably mentally, going through this, the rest of your life, like you said, PTSD. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I've seen the dichotomy on that. Um, and I think again, it kind of comes when, what, what era of their life are you meeting a patient? Mm -hmm. Um, Some patients that I'm seeing now, they have had abuse years ago and it's not an acute injury that they're coming in for, but it's definitely still in the forefront of why they're not you know, either breathing, or maybe it's that they have you know some sort of other functional issue or impairment after that abuse.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
0: the other dichotomy is when you're in the emergency department, when you're working and taking trauma call, <clears throat> and you're seeing somebody in the immediate setting right after this has happened within the first couple of days. It's a different kind of conversation almost. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that I think that has had that abuse years ago that's now coming in has probably started to process some of that mentally. Um, And a lot of those patients that I'm seeing are saying, well, I've already seen my therapist, like I'm talking with my mental health provider. I know this is going to be an emotional uh, situation going into a surgical repair of this area. They kind of know it might provoke PTSD. When I bring that up to them, it's not, it doesn't seem like a new concept in other words. Mm -hmm. So I think that they've done a really nice job of trying to do that emotional healing before they're thinking about the physical healing and I think that that uh, ultimately leads to a very successful surgery because then they kind of are, are prepared mm-hmm. um I think on the other side when you're seeing somebody again in the trauma unit or in the trauma bay and you're thinking okay um you know this needs to be done in a timely manner it's before the fractures have set and before everything has started to weld together in a way that's not you know yeah. will be um, that's a different conversation. And sometimes those patients actually are almost, um, you know, cryptic in their way of how they, the mechanism of, of how they got the injury. Does it just happened. Yeah. It's yeah. happened. And maybe they're not ready emotionally to face that conversation yet. Um, and, or thinking that they're going to have a retaliation again from that person that caused their, their physical abuse. Um, so there's a different, again, a different kind of Life uh time point that you're meeting them at, comparative to somebody. Yeah,
2: obviously oh, yeah. that feeling in uh, the room must be like a lot of pressure to obviously taking steps to get to the next step, which is obviously if they if they settled their mind through it and then they book the surgery. That's you know it's a bit more calm compared to being in there and not wanting to talk and not wanting yeah. to admit what's going on. It's a lot of stress. um In England a few years ago, there's there was a lot of acid attacks
0: have you seen many
2: acid attacks or repaired any
0: that is so is interesting to... i i haven't um that that being said a lot of the time patients may not necessarily see me right at first because yeah. coming into the emergency department you know everybody kind of gets triaged yeah. um, i do a lot of like bony facial trauma and if it's gonna you know affect like a nerve or some sort of duct that makes you know saliva or something like that but if it yeah. tends to be on the skin, like an acid burn, they might actually see like the burn unit type of physician. Okay, but that being I said, I remember
1: I... those.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just went. I just randomly started coming out of nowhere for a couple of years. That was just yeah. in the paper, and yeah. there was lots of people going to prison for. It. And I, again, I guess that's jealous boyfriends and girls getting away from them and they're trying to I think one of the women come really famous she's actually a model on some yeah and maybe was, yeah I do remember yeah, yeah. and she I like he tried to make her obviously because she was a beautiful girl obviously yeah. she's still a beautiful girl now but he tried to degrade her to a, a point where she was felt worthless and obviously he made her famous
0: <laughs> so yeah. again
2: he's that he's went to jail and his actions yeah. have went the wrong way yeah
0: I feel like you know, even though we we all know that like emotional health and emotional beauty and mental health is is what makes a person a person, I also am yeah. like, okay, well, now that person has to live with presenting themselves in a way that's not congruent with like how they feel emotionally the rest of their life. You know, They have then this kind of like mark on them that then you have to explain it and it's just absolutely
1: horrendous. I mean, that would be mm. horrible. Well, and two, society is just cruel, Um, you know, and I just, you know, and I, and I can say that because you've met my husband who is different. And so, and that's the thing. It's just people, and I've lost friendships over people telling me you can't marry him. Why? What's society going to think of you? you know and it's like you don't love what's on the outside you love what's in the inside and like that model like he tried you know to burn her because she was beautiful but she's still the same person on the inside Mm -hmm. and he didn't achieve
2: anything
1: you know and he's in his prison
2: I guess it's as long as she can feel beautiful in herself from what he's left her in like Mm -hmm. obviously like you say they can do as much as they can but if in her heart she doesn't feel beautiful but she's obviously doing well so without all that boost and all that support and becoming famous she must start truly believing that she's still a beautiful person Yeah.
1: so if anybody you know suffers from domestic violence we will provide some numbers for you um and please get help and But Dr. Um, Powers also um, does another reconstructive surgery that is becoming quite a topic in the news lately. And um, I know I have a lot of questions and it is gender reconstructive surgery.
0: We call it it gender affirmation surgery.
1: Gender affirmation, okay. And my first question is, do they, when somebody comes to you and says, I want to have this surgery, Mm -hmm. they have to have any certain amount of therapy, counseling, anything, Mm -hmm. because to me, when I think about it, I think, well, this isn't just a tattoo you're going to put on and then maybe in 10 years, you're not going to want it anymore. So what, what kind of therapy or stuff do anybody have to do to have this done?
0: Yeah. So, um, when I see patients that are in the transgender community, again, I do facial plastic surgery, so I only do face from here. Oh, okay. Okay. There's differences in, um, the amount of psychiatry or psychology, um, support letters that are needed. For mm. transgender healthcare, gender affirmation surgery, depending on uh, the location of the surgery on the body. Interesting. Oh, okay. So, um, if you look at you kind know, of the guidelines, it's through this organization called WPATH. The WPATH is a World Health Organization that t- specifically gives guidelines to um, providers about transgender healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so, it's different if if a patient is going through top surgery. So, if they are female transitioning to male and are going to have breast tissue removed. That would be considered like top surgery or vice versa. So, um, you know, male sex born at birth transitioning to female and having implants put in, that's different, right? That's top surgery. Uh, Bottom surgery, which we consider to be uh, like penile or vaginal um, construction is different as well. And that's done by plastic surgery. Um, And then I do, Specifically, kind of what I can talk on is facial surgery. So I can do facial feminization or facial masculinization. And when people come in, kind of back to your question, like how much support do they need in terms of their mental health and kind of making those decisions and making sure that this is the right time for them to be going through a surgical option. Um, I talk to them about this. Technically, the guideline for facial surgery is you do not have to legally have a letter of support from your psychiatrist or your psychologist. That being said, I think that even if you think about patients that are cisgender, right, that identify, you know, born male, identify male, born female, identify female, um, even if you think about patients that are cisgendered, um, you really do think about this is a huge still transformation depending on what they're doing and what they're changing on their face. And I think it's the exact same for the transgender community in terms of Um, that being a big emotional change that has to happen in addition to a physical change. Um, So I do encourage my patients to get those letters, to have a psychiatrist or a psychologist that's going to be in that support system that they've been seeing. And I do like to have those letters um, before we go through a surgery.
1: And have you you ever turned a patient down because you don't feel they're in the right mental capacity for it or?
0: Um, No, but that being said, a lot of patients that are coming in, some people, it's just a conversation that we're having to begin with. And that information that they gather in our consultation appointment can then be taken back to their mental health provider and they can have that discussion. So it's not necessarily like a dichotomy of like, yes, no, it's Mm -hmm. more like, hey, it, it has to be congruent kind of with what they're looking for and also having kind of expectations that are pretty reasonable as well. Um, so when we talk about like facial feminization, we talk about, if you think about the area that makes the face look the most masculine or feminine, we would divide the face up into the upper third, the middle third and the lower third. And mm-hmm. interestingly, it's the upper third that we really do think, okay, if you looked at somebody just from that area up, that you could say, okay, they have more feminine features or more masculine features, depending on how heavy their brow bone is and how much they have, you know, frontal bossing on I there. I keep looking <laughs>
2: at Sunny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, can you sort this big baby jaw? Right? <laughs> so it
0: depends on the patient, and it depends mm-hmm. on if surgery is in their discussion in terms of their transition. Um, but if that's the case, again, I always tell patients, like, surgery is not necessarily, it doesn't have to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's part of their transition and part of what they are kind of going through with their plan, then that's what we're here
2: for. Is you so, like um, skin shaven and stuff where they, like you say, it's a, they want to thin their jaw out and stuff like that?
0: Yeah. So um, in terms of, like, the bony structure, there's a certain amount of bone that we're born with, right, that you have to have for a functional mandible for a functional jaw to be able to use that. So there's certainly limitations that we can do, but we do have patients that come in and they say, Hey, can I have the angles of the mandibles sculpted down? Or can I have the the chin sculpted down? But if you think about some of the more feminine features, like some of the more prominent people out there that have pretty prominent mandibles or those angles that are pretty Um, you know, that are pretty drastic or like Angelina Jolie, like, you know, very feminine, we would think, oh, absolutely gorgeous human being, um, but really does have quite, quite a chiseled jawline. So it just depends on, on kind of the
1: patient. Hmm. Yeah. Now, do you see uh, like um, an uptick, like it's more people are considering this now than versus five years ago um because it seems to be more accepting now people are talking about it more um do you find that it's becoming you know more of a surgery that you're doing
0: i think that's hard for me to answer because i'm new to utah Um, oh okay new to practicing here in Utah. majority of the transgender healthcare I was doing was in training with, um, his name's Dr. Scott Chayette out in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. It just depends. I think part of it is if you, if you are new to an area, kind of making yourself known as, Hey, I am a provider that offers these services. So I'm trying to kind of grow that just a little bit more, but it's hard for me to to get a pulse on that just because I'm I've
1: moved different regions and I don't know mm-hmm. if it's regional.
0: Well, or- and that's what
1: I was going to ask you how um is it going in Utah because I well and but I mean yeah, I just am wondering because you know. <laughs>
2: We live in. Lisa will be with you right. next week. She,
1: right. she, we gets it. she gets where I'm trying to go with this. Yeah. I don't it's want
0: like to say it without shortest. saying it. Yeah. Yes. Utah traditionally is a very conservative state. Um, and I think that interestingly, Salt Lake City is more progressive than, um, than I expected coming here. It is. So, yeah. yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah.
2: Lisa's um, like, are you busy? <laughs> 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 how busy are you?
0: Yeah. And so down um, last, actually last weekend down in Provo, there was um, uh, one of the one in three in the nation Transgender Pride Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, it's put on by this place called Gender Bands, which is in Utah. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised at how many people I had come by. We had a little booth there. Um, kind of letting people know, Hey, we're here. And we had, there was 400 volunteers. There were over 200 people that stopped by our booth. Wow, I feel like there's a lot of patients, not necessarily patients that are new, right? These are all people that have existed for years and years, but there's more visibility. Like you were saying, there's more um, acceptance, I think. And I think a lot of patients that, or a lot of people, you know, that are transgender are kind of more open to, you know, to kind of being more visible out in public as well. Yeah. It
2: kind of seemed to be like the next phase because that was like 15 years ago, that was tattoos. And now it's a bit more acceptable. And now this is the next phase surgery where people are a bit more, let's just do it. Everybody's doing it. Let's just, if you feel insecure about that one thing, just get it done, which again, shouldn't really be an issue if you're just trying to make yourself feel better. So it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be anyone else's opinion on what happens. As long yeah, as you feel that
0: consistent with cisgender or transgender patients, you know, yeah. like anybody really, if it's something that has bothered you for years, whatever it might be, as long as you have realistic expectations, mm-hmm. I think that that's fine. You know, I think that the patients that come in that are doing things, um, you know, say they have somebody that said, oh, yeah, you should really get this done. I mean, that's really the reason not to have surgery, right? Yeah. <laughs> Surgery yeah. should be done for functional reasons or for an aesthetic reason, but it should be for something that they yeah. they want. Yeah.
1: Well, because I mean, I'm gonna tell you the truth. I watch botched. Yeah. <laughs> and um, some of these, you know, and I'm really, really curious mm-hmm. as a plastic surgeon if, mm-hmm. like, I see some of the like the men come in that want to look like Barbie or the girls that want to, you know, have like all these surgeries. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there are some doctors out there that will keep performing and comp- performing all these surgeries. Um, Do you find like, like, how do you feel when you like have like a guy that comes in and he's had, all this surgery done to look like a female and they look like a female and they're beautiful but it's never enough like mm-hmm. how do you like okay i'm drawing the line here mm-hmm. you know. i think
0: that not necessarily even male to female but just female to any male. yeah i really want this this and this and then you know if you're talking to them as a provider and things like you get a there's a sense, you know. There's like a like a spidey sense, I guess I would call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how you know, but yeah. you you read patients, and when patients are talking to you about, you know, I I always jokingly tell this to other providers. I'm like, yeah, if they're like, do you see this little thing on my nose that's present on the first Tuesday when there's a full moon and this light, and it's like, <laughs> if you can't see it, if you if it's not reasonable, then don't go don't go after it like what do you what's your end point right mm. and I think it makes a lot of sense in anybody to kind of have that conversation and sometimes it's like hey I just can't see what you're you're looking at like can you show me a little bit differently and most of that time that sparks that conversation of like am I going to actually be able to meet your needs with surgery probably not yeah. so you know, I'm, I'm pretty conservative in terms of the, like what I offer versus what I, what I'm asking to be able to achieve. And I've always been told, like, if you, if the goal line is here and you're right here, it's probably going to be worse with surgery. You might actually Mm -hmm. not get to that goal line, but if your goal line is here and you're over here, And really the improvement you can make surgically is pretty reasonable. And that patient has that understanding, then that's a great surgical candidate. Mm -hmm. But again, that really does come back down to reading what that patient is asking you to do, being realistic with them, setting goals with them, because if their goal is something over here and you think you're talking about this goal, you might achieve the goal you're thinking of as a surgeon, but they might be really mad at you later and say, Hey, we didn't even address whatever it might be. So it really just is that first conversation. And then secondarily, if you do see somebody where, you know, I actually did have a patient the other day that came in, they had had a ton of filler, other places, different other surgeons around the area um, had gone and flown for different reasons to different surgeons elsewhere outside of Utah and had a bunch of injections came in really looking overinflated, you know, like huge cheeks, huge lips, huge, everything, and wanted me to go in and like do a really specific area, like a, another little bit of filler, like right here compared to here. And I just, yeah. you know, it's that conversation again. Like, Hey, I'm so sorry. Like, I just don't think that I'm going to be able to be that provider for you.
2: Um,
1: I think maybe but... you need to go see a psychiatrist mm-hmm. a psychologist okay. or something. Yeah. Because, and that's a thing too. It's, I think before like trans gender and all this was, you know, accepted, commonly accepted and everything. I think so many of them may have gone to different countries and mm-hmm. had it done. And, you know, you've seen some of the results of that. Mm-hmm. And, right.
0: and also but, you think about the, the worry of if there's complications down the line, not having your surgical yeah. team readily available to be able to help you because you can't fly back to whatever country you may have gone out of country. And I guess out.
2: that's like finding, finding the correct professional. Like you say, you'll turn somebody down if you don't think you can meet to their standards, but you've got other doctors in different countries who just want that money and will do whatever they ask of them. And mm-hmm. if they're not happy with it at the end, then they'll have to pay again to reconstruct yeah. that. And that's again, you, you're happy to turn that, turn that money away because that's yeah. actually your profession is just to try and make the best for somebody which is good.
1: Now I don't want to throw you under the bus, Sunny, but I Absolutely. know i <laughs>
2: <way. Absolutely. laughs>
1: I know somebody you know that went to a different country for I, some I, surgery. We looked, we
2: looked, at, <laughs> we looked in London, but then we looked in a space in Turkey that had sixty-five thousand five-star reviews on Trustpilot, and I thought that, you know, that
0: is. That is
2: I, I went through so many, and that one just kept coming up, <laughs> and I just said, I've net, I thought I've just got to go, and we went to <laughs> Turkey, and she had the best, best job. I couldn't fault her, and again, like you're saying, it is that was scary to say when we come back the surgeons and that in on our doorstep but they did say if there was ever a problem they messaged us like every day for like six weeks to check and take pictures and send and the doctor would always have a look to see how that was healing and if they did say if anything ever looked out of place they would pay for our flights to go back and have another look at it like if the stitches weren't right or something mm-hmm. but that's touch wood they're uh, beautiful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and there are great surgeons in every country that's the yeah, thing there, there I are know. every country has amazing surgeons it just depends if you're going to that person right yeah. it's
2: yeah it's
1: hard and to how know. you know just
0: because like in america we have bad surgeons here right there's some yeah. people that are probably shouldn't be practicing and there's some people that shouldn't be practicing in other countries too and so it's so difficult yeah. to be like okay well, are you shopping on price are you shopping on and it's hard right because obviously price is a factor quality of work is a factor accessibility yeah. for care is a factor so it definitely depends on what you're kind of willing to compromise on um, Yeah, and it happens every part
2: well, the price was a lot cheaper I have to say well, I think that was. In, in the centre of London with, with a surgeon, that was 7,000. We mm-hmm. spoke to a surgeon and on the dates we wanted or we could get away with sitters for our child, but that he wasn't available. And then we ch- checked all these places and then this they kept on this. I can't remember what it's called. I like to big them up now, but I can't remember what they were called. Uh, there were so many five-star reviews on this one surgeon and then there were so many photos before and after that I just kept showing my partner and she said, they've done such a good job. And I said, well, if we request him, we can have him. So that's what we had and he done a really good job.
1: Well, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. Because it's so funny because, um, you know, as I've hit that magical age and a lot of my friends have, you know, things start to go south. And um, gravity wins. Huh? Gravity wins. Yes. and Some of my friends have had things lifted to the North. And it's funny because I have said, Oh, would you refer your doctor? And mm-hmm. they have said no. Mm-hmm. Which, and I said, well, why do you say that? And it's so funny because when I look at them, I'm looking at like, um, I think they look beautiful, you know, and they're like, well, this side is coming down quicker than this side. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't even notice that, you know? And so it's like, well, how then do you find, because I know these women, they've researched, they went to Chicago to have it done. They went to California to have it done. And how do you even know? I mean, he could be the best surgeon, but your body just reacts differently.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, surgery in general, you know, it's not, it's not a, uh, perfect science in that, you know, it depends on how you heal. It depends on how long your swelling stays around. You know, we usually tell patients a timeline of like, okay, well, when are you going to be fully healed? Interestingly, like for a rhinoplasty, if somebody comes in for, for their nose, mm-hmm. it's a whole year to a year and a half, depending on how thick their skin is. Yeah. And so, you know, having that, again, that conversation up front, I think when you go into to try to select a surgeon, if you're like, how should I make sure that I'm finding somebody that's gonna be able to be doing the surgery that I need, and that also is gonna kind of make sure that they're with me that whole that whole way, is asking those questions like, okay, how often is it that complications happen? When they happen, like what type of care is given? Understanding like how long it's gonna take you to heal? Understanding like what's normal and what's not normal um, and those are things again your surgeon should be telling you before you even think about having a surgery booked with them. It's just that informed consent conversation that should happen right up front.
1: So see, I've had um I've had a lot of skin cancer, mm-hmm. mostly on my nose. And I've had a lot of um plastic, not plastic. well, they've done reconstructive surgery, yeah. but I haven't gone to like a plastic surgeon to get and my nose bugs me to death. Mm-hmm. But I'm so afraid of if I got it done and I didn't like it, mm-hmm. then what? You know, it's like, so I'm like, well, I live with this like deformed side of my nose, you know? Mm-hmm. And um so that's my biggest fear because you know, and then also the pain. <laughs> oh, I
0: Make this change. I'm not going to be able to go back, right? Yeah, it, it really just depends. It depends on what you're trying to change. And mm-hmm. I always tell patients, like, unless it's cancer, right? Unless we physically have cancer and it needs to come off, majority of what we're doing is purely elective surgery, and that might be elective to make your breathing better. Maybe you don't breathe out of one side of your oh, nose after you had, yeah. right, a cancer or something taken off and it was reconstructed, or maybe it's purely for the way that it looks, right? But Either way, that conversation really again. That patient needs to have that conversation with their surgeon, and that that patient needs to be the one to make the decision, yes or no, for surgery. It shouldn't go to anybody else. That's their. their
2: I think team. you're having that conversation now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're funny. You're, you're <laughs> next week, babe. Hey, I'll call you when we die. Does
0: <laughs> it doesn't
1: bother you enough? That's yes it does yeah that's yeah. usually what I tell people and everybody you saying, know what it is it's I think there's so much scar tissue that mm-hmm. that's like I've had like holes put in it to get oxygen to the scar tissue like yeah. I've tried a lot of things
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um but it does affect my breathing and stuff like that but um back to um what was <laughs> 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 let's get off me <laughs> I love it um when you do like the jaw line so you can make like the jaw pretty dominant and everything um then do they then go on like hormones and stuff to grow facial hair and stuff like that and then is that like somebody else like then they have to go to somebody else to get that done so there's like different stages of doctor during the training, yes. the surgeries and stuff,
0: right? So if somebody is, um, so we talk about like, okay, what were what was your sex assigned at birth, right? Female versus male. We say that's technically, uh, but then we have the scale of gender, which is fluid, right? Which can be non-binary all the way male, female, and then anywhere kind of in between. So if somebody's coming in and they want to have a more masculine appearing jawline. Um, interestingly, this is what's kind of interesting. So I oftentimes will meet patients after they've been on hormone therapy, they Uh, see a completely different provider. So there's a different provider that does that. It's either like an endocrinologist. Sometimes it's somebody like a family medicine doctor or an internal medicine doctor that starts them on hormone therapy, or maybe puberty blockers, depending on what age that they're being started on. And patients that come in that are on supplemental testosterone, Testosterone is such a powerful medication in that you will see changes like facial hair growth very, very shortly thereafter. I just Um,
1: had testosterone pellets inserted, (laughs) and I said, "Um, (laughs) "Am I expect anything?" She goes, "No, we're starting very, very low." I was like, "Depending on your dose." Huh?
2: I thought I could see a mustache.
1: Oh no.
0: So testosterone is interesting compared to estrogen. If you put somebody that is an XY chromosome, right? So born male sex at birth on estrogen, you will get some fat redistribution in the face. Like you will see some improvement in terms of like the amount of fat that's in the cheek area, but it's not super drastic. Um, And usually you'll see that at about like two years where it's going to be settled out. Okay. Whereas somebody that's on testosterone, you might see facial hair growth. You might actually hear pitch change in their voice um, and changes that happen a little bit more drastic with testosterone than you would with estrogen. Okay. So a lot of times patients, the patients that I'm seeing, a lot of them are actually coming in to see me for facial feminization because mm-hmm. testosterone is such a stronger you know, ability again to like create facial hair, to to have some of those more masculine features um so but yes you're right in that there's a different provider that does their
1: hormone therapy that does all of their labs and kind of monitors that um, both pre-surgery and post-surgery so when you say feminization are you talking like cheekbone like you add cheekbones and like features?
0: yeah it depends on what the patient is interested in um and so you know again when you look at somebody's face compared to somebody else's face, <clears throat> not everybody has the same type of features. And so sometimes it's that brow bone, like we talked about, or like the heaviness of an eyebrow, or maybe the eye is not as open. And we think about like a more feminine eyes, having like a more open feminine eye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe that is cheek implants. Sometimes people's cheekbones are much higher than others. It just depends. Um,
2: mm-hmm. And
0: sometimes we think about that also involving like nose, right? So If you look at a nose and you say, okay, is that a masculine looking nose or a feminine looking nose? Feminine looking nose tends to have more of an upturn and more of a a rotation of the tip Mm -hmm. um, and tends to have less of like a hump or less width in the bone area. Whereas like a masculine nose, again, couldn't be plus or minus a hump. And then the tip is actually coming out more like at,
1: um, you know- Sunny.
2: (laughs) Pardon?
1: i said turn to the side Sonny.
2: <laughs> i hate my nose from the side
1: I hate it. <laughs> and that i mean i think everybody because like i and come my background i'm italian so all i feel like all the italians have that hump mm-hmm. you know and um i'm like oh that's a little masculine <laughs> <laughs> it is neither 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 yeah. but
0: yeah
1: but i will watch a nose job on television. And when they bring out that hammer, I'm like, oh, I can't I, I just oh. That
2: tap, I go, When the <laughs> chisel <chicle laughs>
0: comes out, you turn the sound down.
2: Oh, oh. No. I just push that <laughs> And in that's and just, what like, I'm so
0: afraid to... of. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but you'll oh, be you know, a, a lot of surgeons back in the 80s were still doing quite a few rhinoplasties under just like a little bit of sedation and, and local anesthesia. So patients were awake to hear, to hear those. And I guarantee you, a lot of my patients would never elect for that. They'd say, absolutely not put me to sleep, but. I,
1: So one of my skin surgeries, um, we were living overseas and um, I was awake through the whole thing and smelling my flesh burning. I was like, those things to my stomach. And like, my head was, and I'm like, time out, time out. Like, and then when it's on your nose, like you can look down and see what they're doing.
2: i will be, like, oh, be holding a mirror saying, so, no, a little to the left. Knock me out, walking. please.
0: You didn't like the smell of human barbecue. Oh my um, God.
1: I was, it, and it was five hours. Yeah. And I was like, so nauseous. And then at one point, like sweat. <laughs> oh, the one point it, the Novocaine or whatever started wearing off mm. and it's like, okay, I'm starting to feel some things, you know, and, I was, but it was the most surgery. So it's like, they can't put you under because then they got to test everything. You got to go out and wait, you know? Right. Right,
0: it's a much longer, longer process depending on how many passes they have to do. Oh my God,
1: he did a lot from here all the way up to my eye, and I was like, Oh please! I'm like, um, iodine and baby oil was okay when I was about ten, but now I'm paying the price for it. So, yes,
0: yes, I totally hear. You know what's interesting too is in Utah we have the highest rates of melanoma in the country.
1: Really. Because everybody's
0: outdoors. I think it's a combination of we're at such a high elevation. So if you're at a higher elevation, then you're going to get more UV sun exposure. Um, And then we do have quite a few Caucasian people that live in Utah. Um,
1: White, white,
0: white, white, white. Very white here. (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah, everybody is very active, you know, biking, skiing, everything that people are doing year round, you know, a lot of people. places are like oh in the winter we don't do anything well in the winter here everybody's still very active and then you get that reflection I was going to say
1: people are fried yeah. you don't realize when you snow ski how fried you get
0: yes so you're can,
1: getting it from here and yeah and then the snow well you can yell at sunny because I'm sure you were at the beach all day today sunny did you I know something?
2: my face is so red I keep seeing it. I think oh <laughs> I'm no trying to face, face the light because I've had the sun on me all the <laughs> time you yeah, mineral-based screens,
0: based sunscreen. Yes. Mineral-based
2: yeah. sunscreen, so you block UVA and that's UVB. It's been, been so windy, so I thought, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. As soon as I got in the car, I thought, if I, I put the aircon on. As soon as I'm out, at home, it's like, I've got no breeze, <laughs> and I'm so hot. Yeah. I've
1: got this big
2: fan beside me blowing.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, I grew up in Arizona, mm-hmm. where we would wait for the news during the day, To see how long it it took to fry an egg. So we would know, okay, we only have to be outside for 20 minutes and we're going to get a nice crisp tan. And then we moved to Australia where, you know, it's like, okay, so double whammy. And of course now I'm like paying the price. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah. And I
0: you get your skin checked regularly. Oh, I do.
1: Main thing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so, um, so how many would you say, well, I, I don't know if it's hard for you to determine, but how many like transgender recon, facial reconstructive surgeries do you say you do like a month or so?
0: Oh, I see what you're saying it just depends on the month. Um, we have some, so for instance, like some patients will come in and it's, we we have like stages. Mm. So it depends again on what we're talking about, what features we're addressing. Um, but for instance, if somebody's coming for facial feminization, we might do the cranioplasty that month with maybe also a chondrolaryngoplasty, which is where you do that Adam's apple shave off. Um, but you can't do everything all at once because purely on kind of time frame in terms of how long it takes. So it really just depends, um, you that know, on the mm. strangely, it doesn't, it's not super painful. It's a little bit tender in that if you move your neck around, you'll say, Oh, it kind of feels like you have a bad bruise yeah. um, there. And it's a little bit tight for a couple weeks afterward, about four to six weeks. There's kind of just this general tightness there. But it's you know, not as super painful. I so. guess
2: if you try to do everything at once, you got that recovery. And again, if just your neck hurt for a little while, you can deal with that. But if your cheeks hurt and your know nose hurt and you're suffering,
1: yeah. Do you fun. raise like also move up and down the hairline and stuff like mm-hmm. that?
0: Wow. Depending on the patient. Oh. So if you think about a more masculine hairline, wow. the masculine hairline has recession along the temples because of testosterone in the body. Yeah. Um, and if you are trying to address the hairline, we make a cut actually at the hairline. We advance the hair bearing scalp down so you can shorten the forehead. You can Mm -hmm. actually advance this part in so that you're trying to address that temple. And then the kind of the cherry on top of all of that is after the surgery, after things kind of settle out, you can actually go in and do a hair transplant where we Mm -hmm. take hair from the back of the head and we transplant that individually into and that you area. need that, that too.
2: That is what I need. I've got CVG. So if you actually Your pull hair is out,
0: so thick. You know, beautiful I hair. Oh,
2: that's yeah. thick. Well,
0: like <laughs> yeah. But if it bothers you, if there's a little spot, you could just do a little bit. You can take some. So we yeah, take going... them individually, take the graft, pull that graft out, and yeah. the hair is grown like ones, twos, threes, or fours, depending on your density. And we, at the frontal hairline, we feather in like the ones and twos, so it looks really natural, but they're individually placed in. Completely different than back Mm -hmm. in the 80s and 90s when people were doing hair plugs, if you've ever seen that. Yeah. So unnatural, that's like a 70, you know, like a punch graft of like 50 to 70 hairs plugged in, and then there's like a (laughs) gap in between, and it looks like a baby (laughs) doll's head. Like, So the the advancements have also improved over the years
2: have you ever done a surgery because obviously my head is like a Sharpe dog i think i google it it's like i think it's called cvg
0: mm-hmm. and honestly
2: uh, i've saw this i saw one picture of a surgery where they literally basically sculpt and i don't even know i, I thought i would love to get mine done but to, i saw that one picture of some surgery where they literally cut the whole skin off and you could see his skull and i'm like, no nah, i'm not is there any other what did they do, do? because like, you know like a sharp a dog is all yeah. scrunchy That's yeah. what my head my head is like that but oh, like that, so they make it tighter you know, i think they cut it obviously cut a section of the skin out and must have tightened it but the picture i saw i was like cool i'd love to have it done but i could not have that done
1: <laughs> i have not
0: so i've never i've never actually seen that surgery performed and i've never, yeah. I've never had to do that
2: surgery oh uh, if you google that and see that picture you'll think i don't want to do that
0: <laughs> and <laughs> then but then the problem is like once you do that then you have you have scars everywhere. Yeah.
2: You no. I would <laughs> rather have one big scar up the middle. That looked like somebody's dragged a right down my head. There's about nine.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. So you do then do that hair surgery too then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Most of the patients that are coming in are, um, are males, most of our patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are like, okay, I don't like the temporal recession, or they don't like the scalp, kind of the crown, if they're thinning through that area. And, um, again, you know, it's, it's because there's testosterone, there's certain hairs on the head that are subjected to testosterone. There are certain areas on the head that are not. If you think about somebody that has really advanced male pattern baldness, they still maintain like that horseshoe of hair in the back. Even if they're shaving it, you can still see follicles. That's the part that never thins. So you can, knowing that you can actually take those, you're kind of taking from the backyard and putting them in the front yard and you know take them out <laughs> as long as you have good density because it's not yeah. like you're, you're not getting new hair you're just redistributing your hair you already
1: have to different areas yeah, you're just
2: moving roots from one
1: yeah
2: repot in the garden
1: let me, exactly. You, exactly. let me ask you this so you know how like um there's all these cheaps and like other pills that they say men can take yeah. um, do you does that work
0: So it depends on the medication that you're talking about. Um, Usually that kind of brand, or there's other brands that are out there, or there's just, um, you know, it's prescription, it's, it's finasteride. And Mm -hmm. that's blocking the effect of testosterone on that particular hair. It's Mm -hmm. never going to like give you new hair. So where you've already lost your hair, you're not going to restore that. You're not going to bring it back, but you're Mm kind of stabilizing the current hair you have another word. so nothing
1: that once you're receding it's With your, blood that's blood. unless you transplant it yeah. because I you know it's weird because um like this big ozempic phrase you know Ozempic is for diabetes mm-hmm. and now women are using it for weight loss mm-hmm. well I know isn't it um is it Propecia that's used for overactive bladder for men, but I heard it helps thicken your hair. Mm-hmm. So I know males that are on Propecia, not, yep. and I said, well, how do you get it? And he goes, I just go and tell him I urinate all night long. <laughs> 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 to me, And he's got thick hair. And I was like, yeah. well, that's crazy.
0: And the what? way that those medications are working is they're, they're thickening the hair you currently have. Like if your hair if the actual hair if you looked at it under a microscope the actual hair would get thicker yeah like, I mean, never putting brand new hair in there well just- he doesn't he doesn't have any
1: receding, so he's just yeah. keeping what he's got I
2: think yeah he got ahead of it yeah. he got ahead of the game <laughs> right
1: right I mean obviously those medications are made for that that's just a side effect but is it healthy is it not healthy you like that's what's interesting about
0: even like if you think about the origin of rogaine or yeah. is the name of it it was not invented for hair absolutely like that was just that was a known side effect that happened um you can google why it was originally invented but it's it's interesting there's a lot of different things that are like okay the side effects of it are actually something that they're excited about, right?
2: And then mm. people start using oh. it off, off Yeah, there's heat. a, a, <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a crazy Norwich at the moment in the UK where this stuff was designed for erectile dysfunction and you mm. have to do like an inhaler. I can't remember what it's called though. you like, in, generally, you get blocked nose, you get yeah, yeah. the inhalers. They do that once every day and they realized that the, the people that they were giving it to were getting really brown because that changed the pigment in your skin. So that was making people tanned. So now yeah. people sell it as a tannin. <laughs> but it was actually designed for erectile dysfunction, and obviously yeah. that change of pigment in your skin—you that tanned you for like six months. I know this I yeah. tried it for two weeks. I done oh, it for yeah. two weeks, and for six months, my boss went, "Who is the black man on the dump?" And I was like, I come flying past, him he oh, went, no. he, went, he, went he, he said to my other boss, like, because he already comes into one like one day every week, he was like, "Who's? Are we hired someone new on the dump?" Because I'd come past him. And then I was the other side of the side waving at him and when he kept looking at my boss, I'd say, who's the geese one at jumper?" And he seemed about four months after, prior to that. And he said, in four months, he said, you just look like a completely different person. And I literally, yeah, two weeks. And I was so brown for like six, I looked like I'd lived in Egypt for six weeks. (laughs) Oh, no. Wow. And I thought I'd just try it and see how good it was. I've done it for two weeks. Yeah. My mate said, Yeah, do it for a month. If I had done it for a month, I would be sat here now looking like I'm from Egypt. So I swear to God, I was so tanned. And I went, I got, and said, You have to stop. You have to I stop. I have a lot of other questions about that, but I'm yeah. not even going to go in there. <laughs> I'll order you some. Yeah, no, the other thing's not a problem.
1: <laughs> but
0: back to your question, you're asking, like, okay, are these safe? You know, and, yeah. and, They they are safe in that they're not going to cause anything like death, but at the same time, Mm. every medication has some sort of side effect profile. Yeah. So it's like okay, well, how much like if you're doing that for tanning, okay, knowing that it was originally invented for erectile dysfunction, are you willing to tolerate the side effect of
2: essentially non erectile dysfunction? That was that was was awake all night. Yeah. You know that helps.
0: it just depends it just yeah depends. That's yeah that's so crazy
2: yeah. oh my i would prefer that side effect anyway i like that side
0: effect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly one of the hair stabilizing medications finasteride actually has the side effect of erectile dysfunction or like low libido so mm-hmm. a lot of patients are like no. absolutely not yeah. like I'm not no, deal. That no deal that's a no
2: deal me.
1: yeah wow yeah. Oh, if i had any anything- happy or yeah. a lot of thick hair and not so happy. Yeah, exactly. Pick your poison. <laughs> <Yeah. in. laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, That's so funny. Well, um, do you want to yeah. add anything to our little podcast here about what we've covered and yeah
0: not covered? Uh, um, I think again, you know, when we kind of talk about, okay, why is this relevant to, to your podcast and kind of, getting back to that, that same type of theme of like, no matter what surgery you're going to go through with, if you are going to go through the surgery, that change has to be, it has to be rooted in something you want to do. Number one, it should be for you. And number two, it should be also part of your like emotional transformative process. Like you need to have mental health buy-in and be able to kind of have that psychological buy-in before you go through with the transformation with surgery, whether, whatever, whatever that might be, you know what I mean? Whether it's getting your nose done after, uh, you know, skin cancer surgery, or mm-hmm. it's just having that ability to kind of make sure that you have a grounded thought process, because it is kind of a freaky situation. If you wake up and you're like, you know what, like, this is very different than the
1: face I've been yeah. used to looking at for my whole life. So. Well, and I think I mentally, too, it's your, you have to, you know, live with that change, too. And then there's other people around you that, yeah. you know, like, if you haven't seen somebody in a long time, and, you know, they've changed. And I think that, to me, would also be a challenge within myself, as well. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. thinking... Okay
2: yeah i was thinking the same with the if the transgender before we go through that you have to deal with the support system and worry debate what your friends are going to think and obviously have that ability where all your friends are saying you just gotta you know we're here for you whatever you do like you say if you don't see someone for eight months and then you turn up with a pair of, of boobs and long hair and that's like hi and you say uh, well, i've got a friend called henry who's been through the procedure got had a boob job and now looks so feminine, but she's so more happier in herself, like mm-hmm. the support mm-hmm. system with her. And I, I think she's amazing for what she's done for herself. And again, you obviously don't, I don't really see, never really thought about the effects that she's probably gone through before doing that. And that's, like I say, it's got to caused you a lot of stress to think maybe a lot of people let you down and just say like, or, you know, rub you off to say, I've known you my whole life, but I've known you as Henry. And now, well,
1: so know, let me ask you this, did, most of her friends embrace her
2: change. um From what I know, she's got a good support system and obviously lots of good friends. And yeah. even on Facebook, everybody supports. And she's like, she's like the best person to be around when you're in a room and you're having a laugh. And she's like the center of all. So she didn't like Carol away. She's like blown, like you know, come out of herself to be who she is truly, yeah which is nice. Yeah. Obviously, down the line, there's probably people that I I don't know about who yeah. have. Yeah you know disintegrated and disappeared and probably lost love but again she don't need them people in life if they're going to be with bad opinions negative
1: and i think you made such a good point there too because we always think about is the patient getting the the therapy that they need but they you know it's like do you have that strong support system around you as well Mm -hmm. you know because i think it would be extremely difficult to have a surgery like that and, you know, not having those people back you, you know, I think that would be extremely difficult.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, you know, you talk to a lot of patients that are in uh, the transgender or really even any, anybody that's in even like the LGBTQ community. Right. And some people's families, when they come out, or they tell them, "Hey, I'm transitioning." You know, this is a different response. Obviously, depending on your family, depending on your societal beliefs, right? Depending on kind of all these other external factors. So, a lot of patients may not have that support system from the traditional sense of somebody that was there for them when they were growing up, but now they have more like a chosen family, right? Somebody that yeah. they found.
2: I suppose from the the newer generation, if you're a young parent and um- your child want to transition as a bit more adoptable now than having an older generation where fathers want their boy to be a boy. And again, sometimes maybe some people are still trapped in themselves because they can't let their father down again, again, be lost in that system from being in the older generation. And, you know, if you weren't going to get that support from your father.
1: We even had um, a person on our podcast that um he god there's like a mosquito he uh, he decided to come out but he hadn't come out to his family yet and his family was faith-based and he for a year pulled away from his family because he thought for sure they weren't going to accept him and Mm -hmm. so when he sat his dad down to tell him and the reaction he got from his dad was the complete opposite of sat next to him, hugged him, said, you are my son. I love you. I don't care who you love. Mm -hmm. And he said for an entire year that consumed me because I thought my parents were going to react this way. And uh, they, he
2: he held on to that for eleven years, didn't he? He couldn't be himself for eleven. Yeah, he couldn't years. be him,
1: himself for eleven years.
2: Yeah. He went to all the sports and joined the <sighs> army just to try and show people he's a man but know him full well. He couldn't open so, up. So I think eleven years of his life he wasted.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then his parents, and he's like, you know what? I just assumed they would disown me. Oh, and yeah. you know, and to me, it was that was such that was a really, really oh,
2: deep. part <laughs> of, his, deep.
1: of his story because I was like, I just I can't imagine, you know, living. I nearly in-
2: brought him up earlier. What? <laughs> I nearly brought him up earlier. Oh <laughs> like really? Part yeah. of the conversation. I was just like being lost and not having the the support and bringing yourself through to uh, for eleven years to be like that is very difficult. I mean, join the
1: military. I. I he did, dated
2: that lesbian just to show what yeah, he was just cuz somebody a relationship. was going to come
1: out and tell the army that he um you know was gay and so he met this lesbian in the army and they pretended they were dating so nobody would out them.
2: That yeah. was a very good very deep podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I just, you know, it it's sad that, you know, you have to live in that fear. Mhm or hide it, you know? So I'm so glad that, you know, they have a person to come to like you to help them, you know, be who they want to be and, you know, live their life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I appreciate you guys having me on. I know well, thank it's- thank uh... you, Dr. Powers. It was such, I usually end with a quote, um, but we kind of covered two different topics um and so i don't know
2: <clears throat> if i have a quote um i don't
1: know
0: you, you can record one later you said you can put one in post-production yes
1: exactly i'll have logan put it in
2: <laughs> yeah, logan will edit but
1: thank you for sharing what you do it, i think it's such an important both of the topics were tr- very important. Um, and like we said, if anybody is going through anything and they need help, we will have numbers for you to reach out to. We will also post Dr. Powers. Contact if you want to get in contact with her, Sunny. Yeah, not
2: before you not coming to the US to I'm do anything, you. I'm going to Turkey for this in December.
0: Perfect, perfect. Come on over.
2: Yeah, <laughs> sorry. And Unless don't, don't get to
0: follow get... us.
2: A what if I get a 50% discount? I'm, going
1: yeah. to <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure we <laughs> can work something,
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and our links to the podcast are on there. And um, we will then send you the podcast and you can post it on social media if you would like. We hope you will. Um, (laughs) Yeah, or like the snippets or anything like that. So I hope you found, I hope you enjoyed talking to us. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. it was a good discussion well, I, the thing is
2: it's a very it's, big eye opener as well because there's oh, so many little parts of that that i can't kind of get deeper and deeper and i was like i've never really thought of it like that so I, this is good for people who are about like, to transition or think about surgery hopefully they get to view this
1: well i never to be honest thinking about abuse and stuff i never thought about the physical healing
2: yeah exactly. you know
1: I, I never even thought about that. And then when Emily told me that you also do that, I was like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you know, so thank
0: you. Yeah.
2: You've got the perfect name for your job, Dr. Powers.
0: <laughs> I would say that's the only reason I got married. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> your husband doesn't listen Austin, to this
1: either. part. <laughs> it's a your great last name. Op- op- <laughs> I feel Is like you husband- should have Wonder Woman cuffs on. I'm Dr. Powers.
2: <laughs> yeah. Is your husband called Austin?
1: uh no no he has,
0: wow. <laughs> he's not but that's that the perfect be... anytime i'm on the phone and they say well how do you spell your last name and i'd say oh it's like austin like austin powers you know
2: yeah. have you, not, if oh. you ever have a son you have to call him austin
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i um,
2: they won't even know this generation
1: i was talking to alyssa the other day and she's like oh my god and then she's told me all this stuff you have in your basement she's oh my like, gosh, god. You yeah. to, huh we
0: have Essentially, an entire tiki bar in our base. That's what she said. And pinball machines. It's like uh, you're so. some renowned pinballer, right? No, no, oh. I I play, but I am not that good. No. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I am not that good. I will go to like tournaments. Essentially, this is like my husband's. Um, okay. Pop. I was like, okay, sure. Like, I'll start getting into this too. And it is a lot of fun, but I'm not good. I promise you, I'm not good.
1: <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, I couldn't remember what she said. It was a tiki bar. She goes, she has yeah. an entire tiki bar in her basement. I'm like, what? Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have All to come over for
1: drinks one night. <laughs> yeah, you should. You should. Awesome. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so much what's yeah, up thank
2: you. i said thank you so so much oh, <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> it's that <accent. laughs> All at the
2: same time
1: thank you,
2: thank take, you, thank care. you. take care uh, have a Bye-bye. great
0: rest of your sunday
1: you bye okay.